Hi everyone. You may have noticed that this video is a little bit longer than usual, almost an hour. And you may be wondering if we added some new features or added some things uh, to kind of make this video fill out a little bit more. And the answer to that is no. Steve is just back to his normal speaking and preaching for a long time self. And so we hope that this morning as we spend time in the Word that you will be encouraged, that you will be drawn close to God, and that you will be able to enter into true worship of Him. Enjoy. Amen. 
Creswick, I'd like to share one verse for you on Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are His people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Let's pray together. We thank you this morning, Father, that you remind us from this verse that you are always, always uh, caring for us. As a shepherd looks after his sheep, Father, you look after us. Thank you, Father, that in all things uh, you know all about us. We would ask that you would be with us today as we gather together as a church we would ask that your blessing would be upon us. 
and that you would cause your face to shine upon us. This is our prayer. In the strong name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, this week, we're continuing on in Hebrews chapter 13. I believe that we'll have one more message from this book. Uh, certainly when we started, none of us could have possibly imagined that this series would take place the way that it has uh, in terms of the preaching schedule and the way of delivery. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, God is faithful to his word and we thank him for that. We can profit from his word wherever we are, whatever circumstances we are in. So Hebrews chapter 13, uh, this morning we're looking at verses 7 through 19. And you'll note that there's a bit of an inclusio, uh, that there, there's brackets thematically around the issue of leaders. So Hebrews 13, verse 7, this is the word of God. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Father, we would just ask that you would, uh, by your spirit, uh, guide and direct us. Help us to understand uh, your word this morning. Help us to apply it properly and help us to grow. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this text, of course... Uh, follows on after those quotations that the author provided. Never, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders. So there, there's a tie-in here as, as he's developing his train of thought. And remember, it would seem to indicate at some level that these are people who are no longer present. Uh, and, and for almost all of us, we can think of uh, people that we have known, people who have taught us the word of God. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. 
And so you think about people either in evangelism who, who first shared the gospel with you. You think about um, preachers or family members who shared the gospel with you. You think about you know, elders and, and teachers and pastors who have hopefully faithfully and accurately shared with you the word of God you know, sort of throughout the course of your life. And many of you have been blessed to uh, know good teachers uh, to, in the past, to have had pastors who faithfully proclaimed the Word of God. And the fact that you're remembering them, of course, means that for different phases and stages of your life, there have been different people who have taught you. I, I can think of people that I have learned uh, an incredible amount uh, of, uh, I, I've, I've learned so much about the Bible and life and, and theology and, and uh, you know, sort of cognate disciplines. I've learned so much from them. And because they were significantly older than I am, they've, some of them have gone to be with the Lord. And so I, I can remember hearing the gospel from people. I can remember being instructed by people, by both word and and uh, through example. And those people, their legacy lives on, but only when I remember it. And of course, this is something, in a sense, uh, that, that we're all facing. And, and I have to be very honest, uh, the, the, the hardest thing for me during this time, this pandemic time, has been that at first we kept, it, it seemed like it was going to end, and it will end at some point. But as, as time is going on, it's getting harder and harder for me personally. Um, because, I, I, because I'm leaving. And I want to see you. I, 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 want, I want to have our whole church family together again. I, I want to be in that worship service with you. But we know that the Lord calls people home to himself. We know that God moves his servants around. We know that there are times when we don't need to remember because we're actually present together. But there are other times when we need to recall we need to remember those who spoke the word of God to us. And when we remember them, we are to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That is, um, we know people who can teach the content of the Bible well, verbally. But we also know people who teach us about life and faith and God well by their example. And hopefully the two of those align, you know, in terms of certain, uh, in terms of leadership. But, but some of the godliest people I know could never teach a Bible study. You know, some of the godliest people I know, the people that I look at, I think if, if there's anyone that I want to be like in terms of character, it's them. But, but they're, they're, they're quiet. They're, 
they're not in the spotlight. Now, again, this is talking about leaders, those who were, you know, teaching and preaching and consider their faith and the outcome of their faith because, you know, they, they, they finished their race and now they're with God, with Jesus in glory. I mean, think about that. And when you're enduring difficulty, Recall, no, there are, there are people who have gone before through all kinds of difficulties, through all kinds of trials, through, through all kinds of negative circumstances, through all kinds of opposition, through all kinds of wearying factors. They, they taught the Word of God. They lived it out. Imitate them because the end is going to be with Jesus. So don't forget that. Live that way. Remember your leaders. But, but I think connected to the previous quotations that God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, and the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. We also are called here in a very strong way. Yes, honor God, thank God for godly leaders, but never, never, never put any individual, any human being on a pedestal. Never do it. Not anyone. That includes church leaders. Now, uh, here, here at Creswick, there is no danger of your leaders being put on a pedestal. Uh, but in wider circles, this is a temptation. In fact, I, I think we've cultivated in our evangelicalism a, a couple of really, really negative tra sort of traits. The church runs very, very much. The Western church, the evangelical Western church, runs very much like Western society in general. It's imbibed not just some helpful organizational principles from the corporate world, but a lot of our evangelical churches run like corporations rather than churches. That's one negative area. This is another negative area, though, is we've also adopted Western pop culture with all of its adulation and celebrity status. So, so now we, we, we talk about it. I'm not sure if you know this, but we've sort of been in biblical literature and studies and theology and all that. We talk about celebrity culture in the church. There are people who are referred to as celebrity pastors. There are celebrity ministries. And whether whatever the circle is, there, there are all kinds of Christian leaders, quote-unquote, whether they're preachers and teachers or healers or miracle workers or musicians, singers. And, and you start to hear how people talk about some of these people. And, and then we're surprised when people fail because of pride or, or other things. No human being was ever meant to be put on a pedestal Whenever someone is, they're literally set up to fail. And then when they fail because they're a regular person, they're, they're a human being after all, the church does what the world does. The world loves to exalt and the world loves to tear down. And under the guise of, of healthy concern, those who were worshipped one week are vilified and slandered the next. So, Remember your leaders, but remember that your leaders, as godly as they are, are just people. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God is perfect. 
The godliest human leader will have a life of ministry and die. The champions of church history are gone. People grow weak and sick and frail. People physically move. How can the church survive when when their leaders are persecuted or imprisoned? How can the church survive when when their leaders retire or or their leaders get sick or their leaders die? How can the church survive? Well, the church has survived for 2,000 years. Because it's not the leadership of the church. It's the head of the church who ensures that it will survive. So don't be afraid. Your your leaders come, your leaders go. The Crestwick Baptist Church is now, I think it's like 91 years old. I mean, when it was founded, Sam was like 13. And, and so you, you look at this, you go, well, well for, for the vast, vast, vast majority of the history of Crestwick Baptist Church, none of your current leadership were even alive. No, God, God's got this. So hang together. Far more important than any human leader is the fact that God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Be awfully nice to find a love that lasts forever, don't you think? To actually dream of, of finding true and pure love that lasts forever forever. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loves us so much that he dies for us in our place to pay the penalty for our sins and to reconcile us to God, he never changes. And so the idea here is as you remember the leaders and the outcome of their life, you say, well, if it worked for them because of the gospel, if the gospel worked for them, then the gospel will work for me. Because they're a human being saved by grace. The Savior and Lord is Jesus. And and Jesus doesn't change. The way Jesus saved people 2,000 years ago is how Jesus saves people today. Jesus is is the head of the church today, like like he's always been. He does not change. And so if Jesus saves all those who turn to him in faith, then Jesus continues to save all those who turn to him in repentance and faith. He does. And so if, if the gospel, I don't want to be pragmatic, but if the gospel worked for people in the past, then it works today. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Remember, of course, Jesus' great words in in what we call the the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Leaders come and go. Leaders are born and leaders die. Jesus doesn't change and Jesus will never forsake anyone in the church. Verses 9 through 14 provide some instruction that flows out of narrative themes and theological themes that you've had so far in the book. It says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Uh, That is something that, you know, every pastor needs to say today. There's just so much out there. 
Uh, there's always been strange teachings, apparently, even in the first century. But my goodness, today, you can find the strangest teachings at the, you know, at, at the click of a mouse button. I mean, the Internet is... I'm not sure the Internet has any sane teachings sometimes. You know, everything's strange. Uh, but between the books that are published, you know, the, the televangelists... Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Well, how can you avoid it? Well, the way to avoid the counterfeit is not to go around trying to memorize all the different defects of all the... You can have almost an infinite, inexhaustible supply of counterfeits. So what you do is you just familiarize yourself with the truth. God's Word. You start there. Spend your time there. Then when the counterfeit comes along by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word, you'll be able to recognize it as false. Don't be carried away. We all love novelty. Oh, we all love the latest, newest thing. Oh, no one really understood the truth until now, until this group. No. Don't be carried away. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which, have, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister the tabernacle have no right to eat. So again, a reminder, listen. What, what strengthens the heart is grace, not these ceremonies, that those old covenant rituals, as the book has shown us, are done. Don't try to be strengthened by them. Be strengthened by the grace of God through Jesus. I'll let you determine for yourself contemporary evangelical applications of that principle. Don't try to be strengthened spiritually by following a bunch of rules designed by human beings. Let your heart be strengthened by grace. And grace is pretty radical. Now this book has clearly told us that we need to be holy. Grace is not licensed to sin. But my goodness... I think the more you think about how do, do, do any of us have really any, any idea how much we sin? I don't just mean in act, I mean in being. No, there's there's only strength in grace. There, there is something profoundly wrong if we are so familiar with the concept of grace that we actually don't find, in, in the title of that most famous of Western hymns, grace to be amazing. Amazing grace. It really is. It's the most incredible thing in the universe. We, through Jesus, have a right to eat at the Feast of Grace. Everyone practicing those old ways, the, the, the author says, they don't have that right. We have, a, we have an altar where we feast on the sacrifice that Jesus has provided for us. Remember, at Passover, the lamb was slaughtered, the blood was sprinkled around the doorposts, and then you, you ate the, you ate the, the lamb metaphorically, spiritually speaking, we, we participate in the life and death of Jesus. We, we share in that feast that he has provided for us. And we have that right. 
The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. What's unclean goes outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. That is, Jesus himself, as our sin bearer, took our sin outside the camp to make the people holy through his own blood. And it's a reminder, how are you holy? You're holy only through the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that, that purifies you, cleanses you from your sin. Now, because of that, because Jesus bore our sin and disgrace in his death outside the city, identifying with what is unclean, the author says, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. So these are people who are being persecuted for their faith. And so he says, the author says, look, identify with Jesus, even if it means persecution, even if it means disgrace, even ultimately if it means death. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now this is something we've talked about you know, in Hebrews 11. Then Hebrews 12 talks about coming to the Mount Zion, uh, angels in joyful assembly, etc. So the reminder here again is, why would you go outside the city to suffer with Jesus? Well, the only way you're going to go outside of the city to suffer with Jesus is if this city is not your home. If you're not trying to get all of eternity in this life, If you're actually looking forward to that enduring city whose builder and whose architect is God himself, then you'll be able to endure through trials now. Then you'll be able to suffer with Jesus now in the midst of opposition and persecution. We are looking for the city that doesn't fade. We are looking for the city that is to come. As a result... As a result that we have been made holy through the blood of Jesus, that we are strengthened by grace, that Jesus never changes, that the gospel works through Jesus, therefore. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So worship and praise is our sacrifice in thanksgiving offered to God. And our sacrifice in thanksgiving offered to God is to be done continually. Jesus' sacrifice, Hebrews has made very clear, was once for all. That is, his definitive atoning sacrifice was once. We are, that one time, sufficient for all, sufficient for all time sacrifice, that one sacrifice produces perpetual, continual, unceasing sacrifices of praise and worship. His sacrifice is finished, is accomplished. Our job is to respond by bringing sacrifices of praise to God forever and ever and ever. And these sacrifices of praise, note, is not just singing the latest song. It's actually just openly professing his name. And yet you think about it, in a lot of our singing, we are openly professing his name and praising him. But to continually praise him means you need to be ready to always openly profess his name even in hostile environments. There are a lot of people who are very exuberant at, at praising God in song on Sunday morning who have never once shared the gospel with co-workers. Now think about that. Wh which, which one really represents them? 
oh, it's easy to openly profess the name of God or, or the name of Jesus on a Sunday morning. In fact, it's, it's harder not to. But here's a little, little trade secret in the ministry. Um, in my job, if I don't talk about Jesus, I get fired. So for me, you know, I, I have it pretty easy. If I don't openly profess the name of Jesus, I get fired. My context is such where I'm supposed to talk about Jesus. Now, there can be a lot of hypocrisy in that as well, frankly, in terms of vocation and all of the rest. But we are to be bold in our testimony for Jesus. By that, I do not mean we are to be obnoxious at the workplace. There are a lot of Christians who believe that you know, they're being persecuted and told not to talk about the gospel, and it's not the content of the gospel. It's that they're bad workers using company time to bother people. But nonetheless, the way to praise God is, is to be ready to always, in season, speak openly about our faith in Jesus. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So praise is also practical. We praise God. We love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then we love our neighbor as ourselves. So, so here, fascinatingly, you praise God and you help others. You do good to others. Those go together. You're not really praising God if you're not also quick to practically aid your neighbor. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. Amazingly, God is saying here, when you help someone else, that's a sacrifice. I consider that like, a, like an offering to me. When you help them, that's an offering to me. And I am pleased. Now then your inclusio bracket, you know, verse 7 reminds you to, to remember your leaders. Now you're back to leaders. Have confidence in your leaders. Now, this sort of assumes, you know, that if you're following them, they should have earned your trust and respect. Now, this is subject to abuse. If I had a lot of time, I, you know, I, I'd frame out a lot of you know, things to look for and false teachers and all the rest. You can, you can find that actually, though, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude and other places. Uh, Paul's Corinthian correspondence, for example. But, on balance, the expectation is... If people in the church are recognized as leaders, they, they should be generally reliable and trustworthy. Perfect? Absolutely not. Not even close. The, the smartest people in the congregation? Not likely. But there should be a, a general confidence. They, they try to walk with God. They, they spend time in God's Word. They're trying to grow. They have some gifts. So, so, so I don't blindly and naively follow anyone. And I plead with you, you know, and, and well, you've actually pretty been, you've been really good at this with me, is you don't follow anyone blindly. But over time, hopefully there's a trust builds up so that there can be confidence. Then, submit to their authority. Submit to the authority of your leaders. You know what that means? At one very, very basic level, the assumption is that your leaders actually have authority over you to some extent. The police have authority over you to some extent. 
the government has authority over you to some extent. Parents have authority over their children to some extent. I, I, I cannot, um, you know, a parent cannot require their child murder another child in cold blood. I mean, that, you, you don't have the authority to do that, even though you have authority over your children. So submit to their authority. Now, part of this, and part of the question this raises is, when's the last time you disagreed with your leadership, but said, because there are leaders and we generally have confidence in them, we will submit, recognizing they have authority. That is, it's, I disagree with this decision. However, you have authority in the church for decision-making. Now, this gets into all kinds of issues of, of church government models and you know, roles of elders and deacons and you know, church congregation votes and all of the rest, uh, which I'm not going to get into. I'm not going to get into those sort of ecclesiological issues right now. I'm just trying to work through this particular text, except to say that this obviously assumes that the entire world is not um, absolutely egalitarian in the church. So there are... Our Western society prizes individual freedom and democratic process. Well, that's all fine. But in the church, there are some people who have authority. The church is not completely egalitarian that way. And so you are to have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. There can be abuses in this, absolutely. But there can also be abuses in egalitarianism and democracy as well. No system of human government will ever be perfect, whether it's outside of the church or inside of the church, because we're in a fallen world and we're fallen people. But there does need to be a recognition that leaders do have authority. And that's worth thinking through. Why do they have authority? Well, or why should you submit to their authority? It's because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. This actually means that they go sleepless. It's like, it's like a military watch at night. They're, they're watching over you and guarding you. Um, they lose sleep because of you. You sleep, they stay up. They're, they keep watch. That, you, should, you should honor them for that. You know... Um, Maybe it's partly personality, but there are a lot of sleepless nights that go along with being in the ministry and being a leader in the church. If you care about people, and, and, and see, most people in the church are exposed to the trials that their little group of people in the church are going through, the issues of their demographic. But to be a leader in the church and care about the whole church, you, you, you can't just worry about, well, well, this little demographic is upset about this issue, and this demographic is upset about this issue. You have to worry about everyone. How do we care from youngest to the oldest? How do we care from people in all kinds of, of different sociological situations? How do we navigate all these things together? People, there's so much diversity in terms of, you know, you go through, start going through our church, you know, education level, finances. I mean, it's just, there, there's, there's so many different opinions. There's so many different crises. So many different problems. 
so many different weaknesses, so many different joys and successes and victories. And you have to give an account. Did you care? What did you do to shepherd them through that? Did you teach the Word of God accurately? Did you teach truth? Did, did you love them? Did you stay up late so that they could sleep in peace while you wore yourself out trying to, try to be familiar with all the dangers and, and all those strange teachings, all the things that could threaten them? What did you do? How hard did you work? You have to give an account. And in that sense, I think the author is basically saying, look, doing even a mediocre job in church leadership is really hard. There's a lot that goes into it. So why don't you just try cooperating? Why don't you submit to their authority? Why don't you just give credit where credit is due? Why don't you recognize that even when they mess things up and have bad ideas and don't see the obvious things they should be doing, they're trying their best. Just cooperate. Just do your best to get along. They watch over you as one who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And this is, this is just real life. Okay? This is not having that perfect sanitized view of church. This is real life. You want to know the truth? The truth is this. In terms of being a pastor, you can make my life a joy or a misery. You have the opportunity to do either one of those things. You have that power. You can be an absolute millstone around the neck of your church leadership, or you can be a joy for them. You can be a burden, or you can help alleviate the burdens that they bear. You have the power by God through the Holy Spirit, using the gifts you have, you can be a joy or a burden. You can be a thorn in everyone's side. Or you can encourage and uplift. You can tear down or you can build up. Every person in the church can do that. And every single leader in the church knows who falls into which camp. I have a friend who's a little bit more blunt than I am in sort of personal conversations. He said there was this family that started coming to his church, this couple started coming to his church, and they had, they had left a number of churches. They had created problems in various uh, locations. And they were starting to create problems in the church he was in. And so he met with them, and he said at one point, it was a, it was a question, he said, do you think that it is a joy to be your pastor. Do you think it is a joy to be your pastor? And I don't, I don't quite know what they said, but according to Hebrews 13, if it is not a joy to be your pastor, you are sinning. And you need to stop. And you need to change. Now, I believe that turnabout is fair game, though, and I think it is entirely fair for you to say, hey, wait a minute, but is it a joy for us to have you as our pastor? <laughs> in other words, you know, it's fair for the pastor to ask that about you know, people in the church. It's fair for the people in the church to go, hey, wait a minute, 
Like, is it a joy for us to have to interact with you? Is it a joy for us or is it burdensome the kind of leadership you're providing, authoritarian or heavy-handed or sloppy or lazy or, or, or dim-witted or whatever it is? I mean, certainly if, you, if you're not teaching the Word of God, you know, that's a burden. So, so it goes both ways, right? This is not me. This is actually one of the things I, I, I really fear in our churches is so often church leaders are too hungry for power and the expression of that power. They want more and more, almost dictatorial sway. So I know churches, literally, where they say, you're supposed to submit to our authority. Jesus has authorized us as his authoritative representatives. So to disagree with us is therefore to disagree with Jesus. And that's nice. That's a nice, neat, logical passage, but it's horror. That's a sort of nice, neat, logical syllogism, but it's horrendous to me. It's horrifying that people can think that. One of the reasons I would never want to have that kind of authority in the church is because I'm not sure about all these other pastors and elders running around in other churches, but I'm not infallible. I get things wrong all the time. That's why I'm thankful for boards. You know, my perspective is my perspective, and I can very easily be wrong. That's why we need a plurality of leaders. That's actually why I do favor congregational votes for, for certain issues. Now, the congregation, I think, should listen very carefully to the leaders, because the leaders probably know more about what's going on in certain issues than they do, because we're dealing with it all the time. But nonetheless, I mean, even the best of leaders misses things and, and analyzes things incorrectly and draws the wrong conclusion sometimes. So it goes both ways. We, we just need to, to try to get along and, and encourage one another. It's of no benefit to you if you don't do that. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but if children want to get something, annoying their parents may be a way to get it, but it doesn't help the relationship. Criti being overly critical never makes someone like you. It never does. Incessant whining never makes anyone like anyone. Never happens. And so it's of actually, the, the, to be completely pragmatic, the author says, listen, it, what benefit do you think you're possibly getting if you are a burden to your leaders? Do you think that's going to make them like you more? Do you think that's going to make them want to care for you more? Do you think that's going to make them want to you know, extend themselves even further to you when they know that whatever they do, they're going to get criticized for it and, and you're going to be ungrateful? Like, like, like why, at some point, they're just going to say, well, I can't do anything for you, and they're going to stop, they're going to try as hard as they can, but recognize that there's very little they can do. So it's of no advantage to you to be a pain in the neck in the church. It just isn't. Be a joy. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, be a joy. Make the leadership literally thank God that you are part of the church. What a beautiful environment. You know, that, the, the vision God gives of what the church can be is so beautiful. People using their gifts, people growing, people being patient, people having grace because sin will happen, different levels of maturity, etc., Leadership that loves and cares for the people teaching the truth as an organic part of the body. Not that there's a congregation, then there's the leaders, but, but we're actually all one. Just different roles, but one purpose. That's joy for everyone. See, what the, what, they're really, what the author is really saying here is, hey, listen, the trick is when people honor their leaders and leaders are serving, 
when everyone's trying to serve each other, when people are not saying, what do I get out of it? When people aren't saying, well, you know, I, I want the church leaders to serve me or I'll go somewhere else where they serve me better. You know, the church is not a country club. And, and so maybe if you want to go to another church, you should be going to another church because you think you can serve more there, not that you'll be served better there. Jesus Christ came not to serve, or sorry, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's the one we imitate. And if we were, we were, if we were faster to look around for ways we can serve, instead of criticizing people for not serving us as well as we want, in the ways we want, at the time we want, I mean, the church would be beautiful. There'd be a sense of harmony there which would be incredible. The problem is too many people are trying to insist on their own rights. They're, they're looking at their own needs and wants rather than trying to identify the needs and wants of other people than acting to meet them. Oh, but guys, the church can be beautiful. The church can be absolutely wonderful. Well, how can that happen? Verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I mean, a clear conscience is a tricky thing because some people, their conscience is seared and it's insensitive. Some people, their conscience is hypersensitive. We have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way, but that's the desire. We want to live honorably. We genuinely want to please God. Do we make every decision properly? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we fail? Do we sin? Yes. Yes. But we're, but we're strengthening our hearts by grace, not law, not legalism. And so we have a clear conscience through Jesus, and we try to live properly, and we look to honor God. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So this is someone who's probably removed from them, probably perhaps through persecution, we're not quite sure. But note here, pray for us. I, I'm going to be just perfectly honest here. There are people I know for sure who criticize way, way more than they pray. If the energy that is spent in criticism and gossip was spent in prayer, the entire world would be different. The entire church would transform. If we just took the energy spent on being critical and turned it into praying for people, the church would be a completely different place. Completely different. The one just simply does nothing but ruinously tear down. The other builds up. Pray for us. You're, listen, I've been here for almost eight and a half years. You know, you know a lot of my weaknesses. You know a lot of my failures. You've seen me make mistakes again and again and again. You've probably learned that you need to pray for your pastor. Well, don't forget to do it. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the church. Pray for those in authority. Pray for government. Well, may God help us. And let us thank God that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior 
for all time. He loves us. He saves us by his grace. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He gives us human leaders who do the best they can, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel, he also gives us a whole community. The church can be the most beautiful thing in all of the universe. May God help us to be that. And may God help each of us as individuals to contribute to the church what we and we alone can contribute by his gifts, by his grace, and for his glory. Be excited. And, and during this time, I know it's been hard. It's been so hard. We haven't been able to meet. But think about what it will be like when you can. And, and let's not, when things are able to go back sufficiently to normal, that we're able to all start gathering again and, and normal church life continues, don't let it be the way that it always was. Remember all the great things and have those things, but there's things that don't work. There's things that aren't necessary. I'm not saying revolutionize church, but, but, but recognize what it can be. See it. Pray about it. So the next 90 years of Crestwick's history makes the first 90 years look like the terrible twos. And now it's going on into maturity and strength and grace and faith. I hope your next lead pastor, and I mean this with all of my heart, I hope that they have far superior wisdom and godliness and ability compared to me. I hope that your next pastor exceeds me in every single way. It's, it's a reasonable low bar, but I, I hope in every way your next pastor exceeds me in every possible category. And I also hope that the next generation of this church exceeds the present generation of this church in every possible way. And then, then the generation after that exceeds that generation and this one in every possible way. Oh, if the, the church would grow godlier and holier every year. That's our heart's desire. That as the decades unfold, Crestwick Baptist Church is more and more like Jesus. May God help us. May the Holy Spirit conform us into the image of our Lord, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And pray. God, we ask that you will transform us by your Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his holy name. Amen.
face of prophets all day.